Andy Patton here. Today is a special Christmas edition of Andy Locks, where I grade listener-submitted hot takes in the first two segments. Then in segment three, I'm making three Christmas wishes to Santa Claus, all for our Zags, all right here, of course, on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team... Every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. It is Christmas season. It's the holidays, time to spend with friends and family, and I sincerely appreciate all of you who continue to listen to this show, get yourself informed on the Zags, your only daily Gonzaga Bulldogs podcast out there. Sincerely appreciate all of you. Of course, all of you who listen on YouTube as well. If you're checking me out on that channel, you'll see the very Christmassy garb that we got going on with the Gonzaga Christmas hat. So I do appreciate all of you who listen to the show on YouTube as well. If you have not yet hit that subscribe button, please, please do so. It would be a great early Christmas present for your favorite podcast host. Uh, If you would be able to do that, we're trying to get up over 250 subscribers before the end of the calendar year. I have no doubt that Zag Nation is out there and willing to do that. So please, please hit that button if you have not already. All right. So today is Andy Locks one day later than normal. I think it's probably going to end up being on a different day of the week when we get into the regular season, just because Thursdays are going to normally be reserved for previewing the week's games because games are, of course, always on Thursdays and Saturdays. So look for Andy Locks to maybe potentially change dates as the season goes on. But for now, we're doing it on Friday. We're doing it the last episode before the holidays, of course. Some great takes coming out from all of you. So we're going to talk about those here this first Take comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Rasir Bolton wins WCC Newcomer of the Year. So last year, Jalen Suggs was the WCC Newcomer of the Year, kind of opening up the door for the WCC to allow freshmen to win this award. It Obviously, it could go to freshmen. It could go to transfers either way. With that knowledge, I feel like this is too hot. I, there are too many other players, notably, of course, Chet Holmgren on Gonzaga's roster who are or on WCC rosters who are likely to win that over Rasir Bolton. Bolton's very good. Don't get me wrong on that. And I think he's going to play really well in conference play. I think he's going to have a really nice WCC slate, but I don't think he's going to be better than Chet Holmgren. Now, Chet may end up winning WCC Defensive Player of the Year. He realistically, he's almost certainly going to win WCC Freshman of the Year. He will be a candidate for WCC Player of the Year, although I think that will likely go to Drew Timmy. So even if Holmgren does win one of those other awards and doesn't win WCC Newcomer of the Year, which seems very possible that that could happen, there are a lot of really good candidates for this award. We remember the incredible amount of transfers that happened last year. The transfer portal was up over a thousand and players. It was constantly stacked full of talented players. And the WCC cashed in. And there are a lot of dudes who are going to compete for this award. A few of them who just jumped to mind for me. PJ Pipes from Santa Clara. He's averaging 10.5 points, 4 assists per game for the Broncos. Houston Maletti, he's a freshman. For Pepperdine, averaging just under 12 points per game, four assists and two rebounds, or four rebounds and two assists, rather, excuse me. Tyler Robertson for Portland is one of 
an entirely new roster for the Pilots, legitimately 14 new players on Portland squad under coach Shantae Leggins. Uh, Robertson followed Leggins from Eastern Washington. He's averaging 15.5 points, 6.3 rebounds, and 4 assists per game. Chris Austin, also from Portland, uh, transferred from Fordham, averaging 15-5. and five. Tejan Lucas from BYU, 10.5 points, 5.2 assists. So th- that's just a, a short list of a potentially larger group of newcomers in the WCC. Bolton, you could probably make a strong argument that Bolton is more talented than every one of those players with the exception of Chet Holmgren. But this award is going to go to the player who kind of stands out the most statistically. And while Bolton, if you were to put Bolton on Portland's roster over Robertson, he would likely have a much more significant impact with no disrespect to Tyler Robertson, who is a talented player. But I think that you're going to see some of these guys pop more statistically than Bolton's going to. I don't think it's crazy to imagine Rasir Bolton being WCC Newcomer of the Year. I'm not calling this. I don't know that this is too hot. I think it's kind of right in that just right range where it's possible that it could happen. Uh, it's maybe not super likely to happen, so it's a good hot take. But there's a lot of competition for that award. And even if they don't decide to go with Chet Holmgren because he takes home some other hardware, I I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Bolton wins the award. I think there's going to be a lot of players in contention for that award. This next one also comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Anton Watson wins WCC sixth man of the year. There's a lot less competition for this one. I think this is borderline too cold, to be honest. I think Watson has a legitimate argument for being the best sixth man in the country. Uh, Certainly when you factor in some of the advanced analytics that look at him, uh, his contributions, not just offensively, but defensively as well, which is very difficult to measure. But the places that do do that, that have measured his defensive impact, often rate him as one of the 25, 15, 20-ish best players in the country, period. Hard to argue that if he's one of the 25 best players in the country, he's probably the best sixth man in the WCC. Now, how the award voters, you know, kind of rank some of that stuff is remains to be seen, obviously. There are probably going to be some other players on other rosters who stand out and maybe average more points per game than Watson. I don't think he'll be the leading sixth man in terms of points per game, but in terms of his overall impact on the team, his his rebounding, his passing, his efficient scoring, and then, of course, his defense. He's elite in the trap. We talked all about Anton Watson in the most recent episode. If you have not checked it out, it's sitting there waiting for you in your feed. It talks about his NBA potential. I still firmly believe he's a future NBA player. I think he's he's on a roll right now. His last four games have been very, very good. The best four of his career, most likely, or at least the best four-game stretch of his career. There's no debate about that. And if he continues playing that well, or at least close to that well, through conference play, I'm not sure there's going to be any debate at all at the end of the year that Watson is the WCC Sixth Man of the Year. All right, this next one comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, Ben Gregg will be the next Killian Tilly and Caden Perry the next Brandon Clark. So yeah, both of these takes have been around for a while. Obviously, Kate uh, Perry was being compared to Clark when he was a junior in high school as soon as he started getting interest from Gonzaga after he committed. Ben Gregg, we saw a lot of kind of glimpses of him last season and some glimpses of him this season that are reminiscent of Caden or excuse me of Killian Tilly. I have made that comparison myself multiple times. I'm still going to say this is too hot only because hitting those comps is really difficult. I think they are similar players. Caden Perry is similar to Brandon Clark in the sense that he is very, very bouncy, athletic, a similar height and build, uh, and a good defensive player, and I think will be an efficient scorer around the rim. Ben Gregg is similar height, decent build, 
really good outside shooter. So you can see the comparisons. They look similar on paper, and certainly on the court, you can see how they are similar. But to reach the potential of Killian Tilly and Brandon Clark, two legitimate you know, rotation NBA players now, Tilly has been a part of the rotation for Memphis, two of the best players in Gonzaga's history. That is asking a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. To say both of them are going to get there is a lot. And I'm optimistic about both these guys. I don't want to be downers on either of them. But right now, Ben Gregg, offensively, I think, yes, you can see a path where he is comparable to Killian Tilly. But where Killian Tilly was as a freshman, if you recall, he was the fourth big on that team that went to the national championship against North Carolina. He hit free throws in that South Carolina game to send them to the national championship. I don't think Ben Gregg's going to be on the court in a Final Four game this season. I just don't see it. He's not at that level. And this is it is his freshman year, understandably, but it is also kind of not his freshman year. He was on this roster last season as well, and he is not the player that Killian Tilly was as a freshman yet. He's not there yet. Does not mean that he will not get close to there. Does not mean that he will get there, but he's not there yet. And most of where he is not there yet is defensively. He is, again, offensively, you can definitely see similarities. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of Ben Gregg's collegiate career, he is as effective as an outside shooter. He's a good passer. He can play that high-low offense really well, similar to what Killian Tilly could do. Tilly could also put it on the deck and score in the paint. We haven't seen a ton of that from Gregg yet, but I think he's going to be capable of doing that, no doubt. He might be capable of doing that now. We just haven't seen it. But defensively, Killian Tilly, he wasn't a, like a huge rim protector or shot blocker or anything like that, but he was a very good defensive player. And and Ben Gregg is, is not there yet. Again, he may get there, but it's hard for me to see it 100% just now. And with Perry and Clark, I, Brandon Clark was just really, really good. <laughs> like saying I'm not sure if Caden Perry is going to be that good is it not is not a knock on Caden Perry in any way. Brandon Clark was one of the three, five best players in the country his last season. He, he's ranked as one of the top 10 best transfers in college basketball history. He was more efficient as a basketball player that season than Zion Williamson. That's asking a ton of Caden Perry. I think he will continue to get Brandon Clark comparisons throughout his collegiate career, but I would be very surprised if he ever puts up a season as good as what Brandon Clark did his one season in a Gonzaga uniform. Not a knock on Caden Perry at all, just trying to put some more respect on the incredible season that Brandon Clark had in a Gonzaga uniform. All right, this next one, the final one of segment one, this comes from John via Gmail. He says, this team will lose Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, Andrew Nembhard, and Rasir Bolton from this year's team for next year. Julian Strother will put his name in the draft, but will ultimately return along with Hickman, Salas, Watson, Dom, Greg, and Perry. Braden Huff will be the only first-year player to be recruited as Anthony Black goes somewhere else. As a result, we will land two experienced transfers for next year's team, one of which is a big physical rim protector in the middle. So I'm going to say right off the bat, anytime a take has this many variables, I'm going to say that it's too hot. Uh, just in terms of the grading system, uh, for all of this to come true would be, uh, uh, the planets would have to align incredibly for that to happen. But I am going to go through each of them one by one and kind of grade them individually. Holmgren, Timmy, Nemhard, Bolton leaving. I think that's pretty reasonable. I think there's a pretty good chance that happens. I think Bolton's certainly going to be gone. Holmgren's certainly going to be gone. Nemhard and Timmy do have some decisions to make. I'm pretty sure Nemhard is going to leave. And I think it's pretty likely that Drew Timmy's going to leave. I'm starting to kind of come around the idea of him trying to come back for a fourth year, be the next Christian Leitner, as has been said by many broadcasters uh, in the last couple of months. But 
I wouldn't be surprised at all if all four of those players leave. I also wouldn't be shocked if Julian Strother returns. I think that's just right as well. I think there's a good chance that Strother leaves. Uh, Certainly, if he gets more consistent as an outside shooter, he's been a little bit streaky so far in his collegiate career. We've seen him start to move really well without the basketball. He's really good at driving into the lane. He's not been great at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. That is something he needs to work on. And defensively, he is better than I thought that he was, and he looks good and physical and talented on that end of the floor. I think he's probably going to be a potential small ball four slash three. Maybe he'll play some three at the NBA level. Uh, he, he's a little bit like Corey Kispert in that regard, where Corey is definitely a small ball four. So I think if he's not playing that role here, it might behoove him to come back, play more of that role next season, and then potentially jump ship after that. But I wouldn't be shocked if he if he ends up returning. But I, also, I wouldn't be shocked if he leaves either. It's kind of 50-50 on him right now. Uh, The next one, Huff being the only recruit and Anthony Black going somewhere else. I think this is too hot, not because I'm convinced Anthony Black is going to come to Gonzaga. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the show. But because I think if he decides to go somewhere else, Gonzaga is going to continue to hit this class. They're not going to settle for just having one decently rated recruit in Braden Huff. I think they're going to go out and get more. There are plenty of players who are still non-committed from the class of 2022. I just I don't think that they're going to have these back-to-back elite recruiting classes followed by just Braden Huff. I think they're going to go find more guys to add to this roster. Uh, regarding to the transfers, I think two transfers definitely make some sense. Certainly, if they were to lose four of their five starters, they would want to bring in multiple transfers uh, to come in who are eligible to play right away and kind of help reshape the roster as opposed to taking a step backwards. I'm not sold that they're going to go out and get a rim protector. Uh, obviously, in this situation, we're talking about Drew Timmy would have left, but they would still have Anton Watson, Caden Perry, Ben Gregg, and Braden Huff. That's not the greatest front court they've ever had. It's certainly not the most proven front court that they've ever had. But like I said before, in this situation, Julian Strother is returning, and I think he's going to play a lot of four if he comes back. Keep in mind, Corey Kispert was exclusively a four his final season. A lot of people consider him a three, but in that lineup, they had Andrew Nempard, Jalen Suggs, and Joel Iyayi starting and playing 30 minutes per night. That means all the time that Corey Kispert was on the floor, he was playing the four. I think we're going to see that with Gonzaga next season if Julian Strother returns and if Drew Timmy leaves. I think we'll see Watson, Perry, and Greg playing mostly minutes at the fives. There will be opportunities where they're playing minutes at the four as well. I'm not sure how much we'll see Braden Huff. And then we'll see Julian playing a lot of minutes at the four with three guard lineups. Obviously, with those three guard lineups, you have Hickman, you have Salas you're going to have a grad transfer or at least some level of a transfer. You're going to have Dom Harris in that mix as well. So I think that's kind of more what it's going to be looking like. I would be surprised if Gonzaga was aggressively pursuing a rim protector on the market. Caden Perry is a player they hope can step into that role. Anton Watson's not really a rim protector, but he certainly can do it. Uh, We'll see what we get out of Greg and Huff. They're obviously unproven as rim protectors. It wouldn't shock me if they go that direction necessarily, but I think the priority is going to be finding wings, particularly if they want Julian to play more four. They're going to go out and try to find more guards to kind of help shore up that area and have some experience uh, in the backcourt. All right, segment one done. Segment two, we're going to do more listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. 
Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach, still Andy Locks here as we head into the holidays over the weekend. Still grading listener submitted hot takes all episode long. This next one here comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, there will be eight different teams that hold the number one ranking in the AP prior to the start of March Madness. So I think this is too hot. So far in week seven, as we are just about to get into conference play, there have been four. Those four teams are Gonzaga, Duke, Purdue, and Baylor. None of those four teams have hurt themselves in the rankings enough that they couldn't conceivably jump back to the top spot. I think you could make a reasonable argument right now that all of them have at least an argument to be number one. Baylor is the clear-cut number one right now. They deserve it. They should be in that spot. But for four more teams to be number one just doesn't seem likely to me. Because that would mean that would basically mean all four of these teams have to lose probably multiple games. All four of these teams would have to lose multiple games, and then the other teams that take over would also have to continue to lose. This has been a wonky season, but I think we have a pretty clear four established teams here. I don't think these teams are going anywhere, and I think we're going to there's a chance we see all of them end up back in the number 1 spot at some point this season. That wouldn't shock me. I think it's very possible Gonzaga, especially after beating Tech, does end up being in the number 1 spot again at some point this year, but I don't think four more teams are going to do it. Kansas could do it. UCLA could maybe do it. Although there's a hard, it's hard for them to have an argument ever being ranked above Gonzaga unless Gonzaga loses again one or potentially two more games this year. Arizona hurt themselves significantly with the loss to Tennessee. They got UCLA and USC coming up, which is kind of another point. USC is a surprise team in this conversation as well, but Arizona's playing UCLA and USC. If they beat both of them, Maybe they're in the conversation, but that makes UCLA and USC both out. So this kind of <laughs> all three of those teams are going to cannibalize each other in conference play in the Pac-12, makes it hard for them to be an option. Kansas, again, is one option. Auburn, LSU, Iowa State are all kind of borderline options. I'd be stunned if Iowa State is ever ranked number one. And same with LSU. It's no disrespect to those programs. They have not lost a game yet this year. I don't think that that is going to continue. And even if it does, I would be fairly surprised if they took over for any of these top four teams that have already held that spot down. Next one, another one from Christian. He says, three WCC teams make the Sweet 16, temporarily shutting the trash compactor mouths of the folks who continue to sing the horrible refrain of this is why Gonzaga wins so many games in their conference. So I love this. I love three WCC teams being in the Sweet 16. That is awesome. It's too hot. I think kind of obviously too hot. I do sincerely love the use of the word temporary in this question or in this take because I think three WCC teams going to the Sweet 16 should, in theory, make those people be quieter for a long time. But it would be temporary. (laughs) It would not go away, unfortunately. That conversation and that rhetoric would still exist. Uh, I think three teams making the WCC or excuse me, making the NCAA tournament is absolutely possible. In fact, I think it's likely. I think four is possible. Three is the most likely. Two is would be disappointing, but is also possible as well. 
but all making the Sweet 16 is very would be very, very surprising. St. Mary's, BYU, USF all have good, compelling cases to make the tournament. None of them strike me as teams that are going to have a ton of success in the NCAA tournament. Uh, all of them are susceptible to bad losses as well, so it's very possible they lose in the first round. But even making it for those teams, for, particularly for San Francisco, would be just an incredible, amazing accomplishment. I sincerely hope that we see a four-bid WCC, but I'm not necessarily banking on all of those teams ending up in the final 16. All right, this next one comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says the WCC will get more bids than at least one major conference and cement itself as the seventh best conference in the U.S. So I think the WCC is going to get three bids. That's what I have kind of stood by that statement up to this point. I think I don't think that's going to be more than any of the major conferences. I think it will be tied with a major conference, uh, cough, cough, the Pac-12 which right now has three very good teams, top 10, top 12 at least, teams in the country in Arizona, UCLA, and USC, and the rest of the conference is very bad, and none of the teams in the rest of the conference have proven that they are really should be even in consideration for an NCAA tournament spot at this point. Obviously, that could change if any of those teams get hot, beat one of those three big teams in the Pac-12, or certainly win the Pac-12 tournament, then they would be up to a four-bid league. I think the ACC is probably going to get four in. I think the Pac is going to get three, maybe four in. The WCC, like we said, the best case scenario is four. So there is a possibility in the best case scenario, the WCC gets four teams in and the Pac-12 only gets three teams in. I do think that's possible. I think this take is too hot because I think that that is pretty darn unlikely, but I do think that it's possible. As for being the seventh best conference in the, in the U.S., I think they're already there. I think they have established themselves as being right there. They're kind of their primary competition for that is the Mountain West. They are better than the Mountain West. That has hopefully kind of quieted some of that conversation about Gonzaga potentially jumping ship. But I do think they are the seventh best team, I think, or seventh best conference, excuse me. I think getting three teams or four teams into the NCAA tournament or getting more teams into the tournament than a power conference would definitely cement that. So I do agree with that sentiment, but I think that they're already there. This next one comes from Dave via Santa Barbara. He says, my hot take is due to COVID-19 and specifically the Omicron variant. March Madness will once again be played without fans. Sorry for the negative take. I'm usually super positive. Yeah, so I I think this is just right. I think it could happen, unfortunately, but I think the NCAA is going to do whatever they can to prevent this from being the situation that we run into. They want fans in the arena. Fans want to be in the arena. Players and coaches and broadcasters and everybody else wants, and sponsors, certainly, they want fans in the arena. Nobody doesn't want fans in the arena. I think that that can, that's, I don't, I don't think that's a controversial statement. I think that's pretty clearly the, the, the situation. I think the NCAA would be more likely to put in mandates that you have to provide proof of vaccination in order to attend the games. They may already have that. Certainly a lot of arenas and states uh, have those laws in place already. So I think that's likely going to be the situation. By the time March rolls around, I'm not sure if we will have if it will have been long enough for them to put in mandatory booster shots i don't know if we're going to get to the point where we do make booster shots mandatory i'm not sure if that's going to happen i think that's possible as well potentially i'd be fairly surprised if they just shut down fans going at all i think that would be that would be perhaps an overreaction or at least a surprising reaction to this considering how how hard they've worked to try to prevent that from being the case but i do think it's possible all right, this last one here in segment two comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. 
He says the top three Christmas movies in no particular order, White Christmas, National Lampoon's Christmas, and A Christmas Story. He says Home Alone and Tim Allen's Santa Claus are very overrated and Arthur Christmas is underrated. So we're going to take these one by one. White Christmas, Love Bing, Go Zags, of course, Love Bing Crosby. Find the movie boring, so not sure that I think it's a top three Christmas movie there. National Lampoon's definitely fine with it being in the top three. It's a classic, very, very well-known Christmas movie. I don't think it's in my top three, but I also will admit that I haven't seen it as often as a lot of other people who I think watch it every single year. Probably need to rewatch it to make a fair assessment there. Christmas Story, yep, I think it's an absolute classic. I know some people don't like it, and I can understand kind of why, but I grew up with it. I've always enjoyed it. I find it very entertaining, so I would definitely have that in my top three. Home Alone probably is overrated. I'll give you that. I don't know about very overrated, but it, I still think it's a good movie. It's a good... Joe Pesci's great. Macaulay Culkin kills it in that movie. Uh, we all love Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek, Catherine O'Hara, who, of course, is the mom in that movie. So I, I, I think it's maybe a little overrated, but I don't think that it's that overrated. Santa Claus, I can't agree there. I love the Santa Claus. I, it's, a, it's a great Christmas movie. It's cheesy, but it's a Christmas movie. They're always cheesy. So no, I, I can't I can't agree there. I don't think that it's overrated. And I haven't seen Arthur Christmas, so I cannot give an opinion on that one. I will attempt to watch it. I have a long list of Christmas movies that I have not seen, so I will put that one towards the top of the list and see if I can crank it out before the actual holiday. All right, that is actually a great segue into segment three, because in segment three, Santa Claus is coming to town. I'm going to touch on my Gonzaga wish list, three things that I want from Santa for the Zags, all coming up in the third segment. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Built Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're pivoting away from Andy Locks for this week and instead focusing on the upcoming holiday. Like I said, Santa Claus is coming to town. And in this segment, I want to discuss my wish list for the Zags, what I would wish for had I had the ability to do so. I didn't want this to become a segment about, like, picking out flaws on certain Gonzaga players and just saying, well, what if we added a three-point shot for Drew Timmy? Or what if we added this for this? That's just not fun. I don't want to be nitpicky. We know some of the flaws that each individual player has. And I don't think that the last segment I do before we go into a a holiday that's supposed to be about love and, and spending time with your family and friends should be me nitpicking the players on our roster. That just doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun, does it? So... Instead, I've kind of picked more overarching things that I want for Gonzaga in general. The first one is the number one overall pick. I want Chet Holmgren to be the first number one pick in Gonzaga school history. Right now, the top player selected in the NBA draft from Gonzaga is Adam Morrison, who went third overall in the 2006 NBA draft. There was hope that Jalen Suggs would at least tie that, although it was kind of expected that the best he would do is third behind Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley. He, of course, ended up falling all the way to sixth, which was quite surprising at the time. 
And he's, you know, he's injured right now, so he hasn't quite lived up to those expectations. I think he's going to be a very, very good NBA player. But right now, Chet Holmgren is Gonzaga's best chance at being the legitimate first overall player selected. He has some competition. Uh, J- Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Ivey from Purdue are two really, really good players. Both of them have legitimate arguments for number one or at least being top three picks. But right now, I think Chet, in my mind, is the front runner. If I was making a mock draft, and admittedly, I have not watched as much of of Ivy and Bancaro as I have of Holmgren. I think that's uh, to be expected from somebody who covers Gonzaga on a daily basis. But I have watched both of these players. I, I do think they're fantastic. I think I'd lean Chet. I do think that for Chet to secure the number one spot, he needs to prove that outside shooting is legit. We've seen him turn it on the last few games, notably the last game against Northern Arizona where he hit not only transition threes, but he hit threes in the half court. That's something he had not been doing up until this point. He'd been hitting his transition threes extremely well, but really struggling in half court threes. It was a small sample size, so it's hard to glean too much information from that. But I know scouts want to make sure he can actually knock down threes in a half court set, because if he can't, that's a pretty significant downside to his potential NBA career. So if he continues to shoot well, like 35, 37, 40% on three pointers for the rest of the season, that I, I'm not going to say that that'll solidify it necessarily because Bancaro and Ivy are going to continue to be in that conversation probably all the way up until draft day, but I do think that that probably gives Chet an advantage that makes it that makes him at least the clear front runner. Right now, I think players are competing to unseat Bancaro as the general consensus number one overall pick. Bancaro obviously is having those cramping issues and some of that has caused some concerns for I'm sure NBA scouts certainly uh, fans and and players and coaches and analysts have been discussing it quite a bit and then of course with with Holmgren there's the there's the continued conversation about his size his uh, his weight his physicality his ability to kind of push around bigger stronger players in the NBA which are understandable concerns I don't think it's going to be an issue for him but I can understand why it is at least a topic of conversation but for the Zags having the number one overall pick would just be an incredible accomplishment a cherry on top of what has been a remarkable run from an obscure borderline irrelevant school in 1999 that went on one great run under Dan Monson new coach takes over they start making the NCAA tournament even and then it took 12, 13 years for them to really establish themselves as, hey, this isn't just a, a plucky team from a small conference that keeps making the tournament. This is a legitimate contender for a national championship. You know, and then they went to a cha- title and then it was the conversation was, well, are they going to stick up here? Are they going to continue to be a true blue blood? Now they've really put themselves in that conversation. Two national title games in the last four years, you know, a really high level recruit in Jalen Suggs last year. Now the number one overall recruit in the country. That was a huge step forward for this program. If he ends up going number one overall in the draft, that establishes Gonzaga as a school that, hey, the best players in high school can come to this school and come out of it as the best players, you know, the best NBA draft prospects. Suggs already proved that that's capable. He was the number six recruit. He got drafted sixth overall. That's pretty dang good. That helped this program significantly. But there's a difference between number six and number six and number one and number one. And if, excuse me, if Holmgren is able to do that, be the number one overall pick in the draft. It's going to help convince future high-level recruits, hey, Gonzaga's a good place to go. It's not going to hurt my draft stock. It's not going to impact me at all. I got a chance to compete for a national title, which everybody likes winning, and I got a chance to go number one overall in the draft. And helping that recruiting is going to be a significant part of what happens to this team going forward, which leads to my second wish from Santa Claus. 
a commitment from Anthony Black. I talked about Anthony Black very briefly earlier in this show. I didn't touch on him too much because I knew I was going to talk about him here. For those of you who are not super familiar with Anthony Black, he's the number 24 rated recruit in the class of 2022. He's been as high as 18. He's right around the top 20 for that class. He's a six foot seven combo guard, really, really big guard, former wide receiver in high school. So a dual sport athlete, big guard, excellent decision maker. Uh, really, obviously, tons of length and uh, just experience and ability on the defensive end of the floor. He's drawn comparisons to Sean Livingston, who, of course, had a very long and excellent NBA career as a six foot seven point guard. So you can see where that comparison might come from. Uh, for the Zags right now, there has been some concern, and it's growing a little bit as the days go on, that the the future recruiting classes are weak. Border, I mean, not borderline, non-existent. They have Braden Huff committed for the class of 2022, and he's a solid prospect. I don't want to dunk on him in any capacity, but he is it for the class of 2022. For right now, the class of 2023 is blank. It is a zero. The Zags have had plenty of offers. They've had interest. They've been out and visiting people. COVID has potentially showed slowed down some of the recruiting for both of the next two classes as well. But the Zags need to prove that they are still big players in the recruiting market. Tommy Lloyd, most of his recruiting was international. So I don't know that the loss of Lloyd is the reason that Gonzaga's domestic recruiting these last these upcoming two seasons has slowed down. I'm not exactly sure the reason why they haven't had a ton of interest for the, la- the these next two seasons. Maybe they're just unsure what their roster is going to look like. But I think it's pretty clear they're going to lose multiple players from this year's roster going into next season. And they're going to need to replenish them somehow. Transfer market's going to be very lucrative. Again, they're going to get some great players from there. But adding a player like Anthony Black would be huge, not just for the immediate help that he would provide next year's roster. A guard unit of Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, Dominic Harris, and Anthony Black is really, really good and deep and talented top to bottom and young and exciting. And I think that would be huge. And But having Black and Huff could potentially sway some other recruits who have yet to commit from that class to potentially join Gonzaga. It could help the 20 class of 2023 get a little bit beefier. And I think it just establishes that, hey, Gonzaga's here to stay. They didn't just have a couple nice years of getting top 25 level recruits. They're going to continue to do it. You, you may remember Gonzaga didn't have a rich history of getting top 25, top 30, top 40 recruits up until the last few years. The tricky trio, Jalen Suggs was the most notable name. Julian Strother and Dominic Harris, excellent players, both just outside the top 40 for their classes. So it's not like they've been pulling a bunch of top 25 caliber talent, but I don't want that streak to end. And Anthony Black coming in for this next class would be a huge way to ensure that they're continuing to get high level recruits going forward. And then my last thing, which does help kind of ties into the recruiting piece as well, a four bid WCC. I've talked about a four bid WCC at length on just about every podcast for the last couple of weeks. It is a topic that the fans want to hear about. It's a topic that I like to talk about. And it's a topic that that does help Gonzaga so much if it becomes a reality. It will help quiet the naysayers. It's not going to shut them up permanently, as Christian alluded to in his previous question, uh, but it is going to help Gonzaga establish like, hey, we play good teams. We do. We play good teams. We play teams that are that are capable of making the NCAA tournament as at-large teams. And not just one, not just one per year-ish, maybe two if we're lucky. Three teams from this conference are going to the NCAA tournament. And the other teams in the conference, the Santa Clara's and the LMU's of the world, are not as bad as people think. And I think it would be fun to just be able to prove that, at least for this season. 
It also helped solidify the Zags' decision to stay in the WCC. They had the opportunity to bounce to the Mountain West. They did not do it, partly because the WCC offered them a lot of concessions that helped Gonzaga. They, they have a bigger piece of the pie when it comes to revenue from the NCAA tournament. They were able to get two of the games wiped off their schedule. The WCC accommodated them pretty significantly. And now they're not only accommodating them, but they're turning around and saying, hey, look, we're really trying to get these basketball programs to be in a spot where we can be competitive, not just you know outside of Gonzaga. And they are doing that. And getting four teams in the NCAA tournament would be a perfect culmination of how hard this conference and the member schools have worked to be more nationally relevant from a basketball perspective. It would also put the Mountain West conversation to rest. The WCC is better than the Mountain West this year at basketball. That is universally true. There is really no debate there. There's a pretty strong argument that the WCC has been better than the Mountain West for the last five years as well, though a lot of people are unwilling to admit that. If you look at some of the numbers, it's pretty evident that the WCC is a stronger conference. A four-bid WCC would also be incredible news for the University of San Francisco and Todd Golden, who is a fantastic coach. It's a fantastic program. It's a program that has this incredibly rich history of basketball dating back to the 50s and 60s with Bill Russell, and now to be back relevant after years, decades of not being relevant in the college basketball greater landscape. To, to get back to that stage and be competing in the NCAA tournament would be so cool for them. It's huge for the for USF to continue to be relevant because BYU is bouncing. They're leaving. They're leaving the WCC. And so it, we don't want it to just be Gonzaga and St. Mary's again. That's not good news. That's regression in a pretty major way. So if USF can prove they can continue to be relevant year in and year out, and part of that is trying to convince Todd Golton to stay, and that's not going to be easy. If, the, if San Francisco makes the NCAA tournament this year, a lot of schools are going to come calling. A lot of schools. You, I could see Cal come calling. I could see UW come calling. I could see plenty of non-Pac-12 schools are going to come calling, and it's going to be tempting for him to leave. Hopefully they can convince him to stay. And hopefully the last point here is a four-bid WCC allows the conference to be really aggressive when they're looking for a replacement for BYU. Grand Canyon's a school that gets tossed around a lot. I don't think that would be a bad ad. I also don't think it would be a great ad. They're not really a good fit in terms of just their, their school's so different than the rest of the schools in the WCC. Granted, that is also true of BYU. So that's, you know, that argument can fall a little bit flat because of that. But I think, you know, I think there's an argument that they could go out and look for even bigger, more splashier schools. And if they put four schools in the tournament this year, that's going to help convince some of those schools to maybe jump ship and come over to the conference. All right. Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Happy holidays to all of you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Locked On Zags Network. I really appreciate you listening to the show, watching the show on YouTube, interacting with me on social media. Seriously, it's one of the best parts of my day whenever I get a chance to talk to you all. So I really hope that we can continue that relationship into the new year, into the WCC conference. Of course, next week, we got Mailbag Monday coming. We're going to preview the start of the WCC season. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get podcasts and available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Finally, thank you for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. It is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas and go Zags.